Good morning, church. My name is Alan, if we haven't met. And the first Bible reading today comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 9. In chapter 8, the elders of Israel came to the prophet Samuel and told him to appoint a king for them. But the reason they wanted a king was because they wanted to be like the pagan nations around them. They had rejected God as their king. So Samuel agreed, but he warned them that having a human king might make their lives harder, not better. So we're picking it up from chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, verses 1 to 6, and then we'll go down to verses 14 to 21. There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zerah, the son of Becherath, the son of Alphia, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha. But they did not find them. They went on to the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. When they reached the district of Zaph, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back or my father will will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now and perhaps he will tell us what way to take. We now go down to verse 14. They went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming towards them on his way up to the high place. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Anoint him ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found, and to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel, and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Good morning, church. My name is Mandy, if we haven't met. Um, Our second Bible reading this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20. And we'll be reading from verse 17 through to the end of the chapter. 
And if you're using our church Bibles, that can be found on page 902. Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with, we, I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by his kind, um, kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to, ha- to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Thanks, Mandy. Keep that passage open. And uh, let me pray for us. Father, your word is very powerful. Thank you that through it we have forgiveness of sins and newness of life. Lord Jesus, please continue the work of building your church this day and apply your word to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine that you have a friend called Kevin. And Kevin gives you a call. Hold on, Kevin. 
Let me just put you on speaker. Hey, Kevin, how's it going? Hey, Wallabies, great game last night. Mate, don't have time to chat about the game. It was great. But you know how I've asked you to pray for me for the last few months about the business that I've been looking to buy? Well, I finally, I bought it. And I got it at a really cheap, great price. And mate, it is going to be a 10-bagger. Let me tell you about the vision that I've got for this business. It's going to start in Bosley Park. And then I'm going to expand it out to Fairfield. And then stretching out all the way out, it's going to reach to the eastern suburbs. A vision, and he starts to read out his mission statement that he's prepared over the weekend. 10,000 customers in the next 10 years. By, t- by 2023, I think I'll be on track. Now, you're kind of getting a bit excited by all this. Kevin, just tell me, what's the business? Hold on, let me message it through to you. And there's a kind of awkward silence on the phone as you think, how am I going to tell Kevin that people don't really go to Video Easy anymore? Well, this was the image planted in our heads at a leadership weekend away I attended last year by a church planter speaking on 1 Peter 1. And I share it because... It's worth asking yourself, is video easy how you view the Christian church today? Is video easy how the people around you view the church today? And most importantly, is video easy how God views the church today? Well, as we turn our attention to the Bible this morning, the big question we're wrestling with together is this. What kind of ministry keeps God's church alive? This morning we continue our series through the book of Acts. Acts tells the story of Jesus building his church. It's the story of the early church. And it lifts the lid on a cosmic battle for truth underway. Beginning in Jerusalem as the gospel spreads outwards in the first century AD. Now last week, you'll remember Paul was speaking evangelistically in Athens to non-Christians. Today, we come to the only speech in Acts which is addressed exclusively to Christian people. What's Paul going to say to a bunch of Christians? Make sure you have the passage open. We're in Acts chapter 20, it's page 902, and I want you to turn back a page and notice three things about the surrounding context. Firstly, the word of the Lord is one of the main characters in Acts. Look at chapter 19. Paul spends a long time in Ephesus preaching. Verse 9. Paul and the disciples had daily discussions with them. Verse 10, this went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Secondly, Luke personifies the word of the Lord using battle language. See with me verse 20. In uh, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely 
and grew in power. This comes after many of the Christians in Ephesus have renounced their occult practices, or as the ESV puts it, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God's word is very powerful. Third thing, God's message is fiercely opposed. Notice that on either side of chapter 20, there is a riot in Ephesus. You'll see the subheading there. And over the chapter 21, Paul is arrested and there is a riot in Jerusalem. In both cases, a crowd is filled with confusion and hatred toward Paul and God's message. That's because there is a cosmic battle for the truth underway in the book of Acts. And inserted between these two angry, violent mobs in chapter 20, Luke records an emotional farewell speech. It's a kind of calm between the battle line trenches. The setting for the occasion is on the beach of the island of Miletus. It's addressed specifically to the church elders at Ephesus. And from this speech, we discover that the kind of ministry that keeps God's church alive is first, faithful, second, fearless, third, focused, and fourth, fueled. Firstly, what kind of ministry keeps God's church alive? Faithful ministry. Faithful ministry speaks God's word comprehensively. Look at verse 18 in chapter 20 with me. You know how I lived. Paul holds up his own ministry as an example. And he can't lie, you see, because they know Paul. They lived among him. And this is a snapshot that he gives of, of his ministry. Look at verse 20. Preaching, teaching, verse 21. Testifying, verse 25. Preaching, verse 27. Proclaim. These are all speaking words. But what do they speak about? What does Paul speak about? God's word. Notice his summaries, verse 20. Anything that would be helpful for you. Verse 21, that they must turn toward God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Verse 24, the good news of God's grace. Verse 25, the kingdom. Verse 27, the whole will of God. Word, word, word. Paul's ministry faithfully kept speaking God's word. And notice how comprehensively so. When was Paul like this? See verse 18. The whole time since the first day. How did he do it? Verse 19. With great humility and with tears. Where did he do it? Verse 20. Publicly and from house to house. Who to? Verse 21. To both Jews and Greeks. My grandfather, Arthur Pennington, was a missionary in Thailand, a medical missionary, and he is gone to be with Jesus now. 
But in the years before he died, he would come and sit at my cricket games and watch them with me. And afterwards, I would come and visit him at his house in his retirement village, and we would have conversations over lunch and tea. And as I think back now to some of those conversations, I remember that Granddad used to share with me about what he was reading in the Bible, but most of what he said, I actually don't remember specifically. Instead, what I remember about Arthur, my grandpa, is the three or four years that he spent caring for my grandma as she suffered from Alzheimer's. I remember that he spoke to his friend Ian a lot. Ian lived in his retirement village with him. And I remember he brought Ian to church regularly and took him with us to Christmas lunch each year. I remember that Ian became a Christian just shortly before he went to go be with Jesus. And I remember that a week after Ian died, my grandpa went to go be with him too. If you're a leader of some ministry here at St. Barney's, maybe you lead creche and so you won't be here. Maybe you're a leader of kids ministry, perhaps youth group on a Friday, perhaps you are a growth group leader or something else. Don't be discouraged when people don't remember all of the words you say. Your words do matter, chiefly when you are speaking and teaching God's word. But in the same way that most of us can't remember what we had for dinner last Wednesday, that doesn't mean that the meal wasn't good for us, nor would we be as strong or well-nourished without that meal. Paul says to the Ephesian church leaders, you know how I lived among you. He was faithful to keeping the word of God central in what he said. Doubtless, they don't remember everything he said. And the people you serve here won't remember everything you say either. But keep feeding God's word to his people. Because without God's word, Christians spiritually starve. And know that even if they don't remember everything about what you teach them, they will remember how you lived and whether your message was matched by your life. What kind of ministry keeps God's church alive? Faithful ministry. Secondly, ministry that keeps God's church alive is faithful and fearless what does fearless ministry look like? Fearless ministry entrusts our future to the triune God. Verses 22 to 24. Paul started his speech saying, You know how I lived among you. But in verse 22, see, he shifts the focus into the future. I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Anyone ever been out of work before? Or needing to look for a new job position? I'm in that season at the moment in my life, nervous interviews, waiting for phone calls. I don't know what is ahead of me in my future. Two things I do know is first, God willing, Jess and I will have a little pepper pig joining us soon 
in about five weeks' time, if not a little earlier. And second, on, I think it's Wednesday, the 12th of December, more College will ask me for the keys to my student accommodation. So I'm tempted to feel terrified about the unknowns in my future. But this week, God's Word has challenged me not to be afraid. The one thing Paul did know was certain about his future is prison and hardships await. Paul's ministry is fearless. Twice he mentions, I have not hesitated, implying the temptation to do so. Notice also how in touch Paul's, Paul is with God's direction for his life. Verse 22, compelled by the Spirit, he heads to Jerusalem. Amazingly, just after this, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. And what was that? To preach the good news of God. In other words, the gospel. Faced with adversity, Paul trusts the triune God with his future. Anyone here on parish council or perhaps a warden, a part-time or full-time staff member at this church, what current obstacles are you tempted to feel afraid about looking ahead to the future of church life here? What we see is obstacles to ministry what we see as them, Paul sees as opportunities for ministries to grow. To the church in Philippi, Paul wrote, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Faced with adversity, Paul trusts God with the future. And if you're a Christian and you struggle with anxiety, with self-doubt about your own future, then use this week as an opportunity to examine what your fears are revealing about your own heart. Ask yourself like I did this week, what do my fears say about what I value and find most precious at the moment? The gospel of grace, the gospel of the grace of God reframed Paul's whole life in such a way that he became entirely expendable for the purposes of God. Will you make your life entirely expendable for the purposes of God? That doesn't mean that all of you must go overseas to do full-time vocational ministry. But some of you might. And all of us are on mission in some form. The better question to ask yourself, though, is wherever God has stationed you right now, Jesus, is it true that I've surrendered every part of my heart to your Lordship at the moment? 
If you are here and you're single, will you offer your life in total submission to God's purposes and plans? If you are married, will you offer your family to God's purposes and plans as well? If you are grandparents or parents, what will your response be if the day comes when your kids come to you and tell you, I am feeling drawn to the mission field to tell others about Jesus. Will you try and dissuade them? Or will you encourage them? I am praying already for my unborn child that God would use them as a tool in his hands. Paul's ministry is fearless because its source, content and direction all come from the one triune God. What kind of ministry keeps God's church alive? Fearless ministry. Well, thirdly, ministry that keeps God's church alive is faithful, fearless, and focused. What does a focused ministry look like? Verses 25 to 31. Listen up. You will never see my face again. And after testifying to these men of his innocence of their blood, a weighty reminder of the high stakes in Christian ministry, Paul, headed to Jerusalem, gets to verse 28. And so comes the charge towards a focused ministry. Twice, Paul in this section calls them towards a vigilance Church leaders are to shepherd vigilantly. Verse 28, keep watch and see verse 31, the beginning. So be on your guard. Keep watch. It is two directional. They are to keep watch on themselves personally and they are to keep watch on the flock generally. Firstly, stay focused and watch yourselves. What does Paul have in mind in particular? In this context, two things, dodgy doctrine and compromised living. As we'll see in a moment, both are devastating to the life and health of the church. Secondly, stay focused and watch the flock. Paul gives two grounds, one because the Holy Spirit has appointed them as overseers. Two, because the sheep belong to Jesus. They've been bought at a very great price. Look too with me at the ominous warning Paul gives in verses 29 and 30. Beware! Savage wolves will come in and will not spare the flock. The metaphor Paul uses here is of shepherding the flock. Who are the flock? God's blood-bought people redeemed on the cross by Jesus. Who are the shepherds? Ultimately, this is important. Ultimately, the flock belongs to God. Ultimately, God keeps his church alive. As Peter says in 1 Peter 5, Jesus is the chief shepherd. But do notice verse 28 in this text. According to God's plans and purposes, verse, yes, that's right. 
the Holy Spirit appoints specific men as under-shepherds, and they bear the real delegated responsibility to care for God's flock. Who are the fierce wolves? They are the false teachers who come in. They are the twisted self-promoters who rise up from within. Danger from without, danger that rises up from within. To the church in Rome, Paul wrote at the end of his letter, Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of who? The naive. What is at stake in light of this danger? The very life of the sheep, and therefore the life of God's church too. Anyone remember the story of the three little pigs? A big bad wolf comes to a house made of straw and then subsequently sticks belonging to two little pigs and huffs and he puffs and he blows the house down. But only when, he, only when the big bad wolf comes to the third little pig's house made of bricks, the wolf says, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. No, no, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. And so he huffed and he puffed, but he could not bring the house down. And so the big bad wolf went away and a little piggy survived in that house. Well, we can be glad that Paul used the metaphor of sheep and not little pigs to describe the church. But by analogy, it's not such a bad picture for us to remember this passage, this nursery rhyme. To remind us of Paul's charge to the shepherds of the flock. Shepherd teachers are delegated a teaching ministry of building up God's church. They are to positively build the house using the right materials. In other words, like Paul, teach the word of God faithfully. Negatively, they are to guard the sheep from wolves who would attempt to come in at all costs. This calls for attentiveness, discernment, courage to call out false teaching. In light of this, in this year of prayer, will you continue with me to pray and encourage the team of men who bear primary preaching ministry responsibilities at this church here and in Fairfield as well? And will you also look to kindly ask your leaders, maybe even our link missionaries as well, from time to time the question, how are you going at keeping watch over yourself by way of encouragement to them? What kind of ministry keeps God's church alive? Focused ministry. Fourthly, ministry that keeps God's church alive is faithful, fearless, focused and fueled. What does fueled ministry look like? Look with me at verses 32 to 35. 
fueled ministry depends wholly upon God's grace. I don't know about you, but when I first read this Acts 20 passage a few weeks ago, preparing for this sermon, I couldn't help but feel a bit depressed by comparison to Paul. Look at verse 31. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. I, on the other hand, tend towards a lower bar. I feel as though I've had not such a bad week as a student minister if over morning tea that week I remembered some names and didn't need to obviously look at someone's name tag. The demand Paul lays out on church leaders can feel overwhelming. But the admonition Paul gives is not designed to crush church leaders or to bring to despair tearless Christians like me most of the time who want and desire to embed their lives deeply with others but struggle nonetheless to connect at that level all the time, a lot of the time. Paul's solution comes in this final section. See verse 32. Now I commit to you, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. ESV, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. In other words, Paul is saying, don't look within yourself for the resources. Look to God. Look to the word of his grace. A few weeks ago, Jess and I were driving in Mossvale. We were driving from Bosley Park to Mossvale after youth group on a Friday night, going to stay for a long weekend. It was midnight, and we were about 15 minutes from our destination, travelling on a, con- a country road, and all of a sudden, clonk, 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 stopped. Not my proudest moment as a husband. We'd run out of petrol. The car came to a halt. Not a great location on the road, either just beyond a bend on a 70k speed limit road. At genuine risk of being rammed into the back of our small little Toyota, we hopped out of the car. My wife, in her second trimester of pregnancy, the time, midnight. The temperature, winter and freezing. Like penguins, we walked backwards. I was praying for the car. By God's grace, only a kilometre or so, but the petrol station, which was about to close, was able to give us some fuel to go and get our car started again. Well, a Christian leader who neglects God's means of grace, the reading of his word, devoted time in prayer, regular fellowship with others, sooner or later is like my car. It hits empty, as inevitably as my Toyota that wintry night. The simple question to ask yourself, leader or Christian today, is where is my tank quota up to at the moment? Grace for a Christian is not merely freedom from sin, but the fuel that motivates everything else as well for a Christian. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, By the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God at work within me.
What kind of ministry keeps God's church alive? Fueled ministry. Well, as we close, see how emotional the final scene of this passage is in verses 37 and 38. After speaking, they all threw themselves on Paul, hugging him. There were many tears, many culturally appropriate kisses. And they walked him to the boat. It's a heart-wrenching farewell as they part, never to see one another again until heaven. Why did, they, why did they love Paul so much? Because his life and his ministry matched and mirrored their saviour so closely. Paul was motivated towards a life of self-giving because he knew Jesus, the one who had given us his all. He didn't covet their silver or gold, their direct debits. The church is not like Video Easy. Do not despair if you see churches declining in Sydney. Persevere in the kind of ministry that from the very beginning has built up God's church by his means and for his purposes. After all, Jesus is the one who ultimately gave his life, went to Jerusalem for the sake of his church. Jesus is the one who gives the sure and certain promise, I will return soon and with my kingdom I will come. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep willingly. What kind of ministry keeps God's church alive? Faithful, fearless, focused and fueled ministry. Let me pray for us.